Hey there, FPO family. Welcome to this episode of our midweek meditation. James and I are here today, and we are going to discuss Paul's letter to the church in Rome, the letter of Romans. As we've mentioned, our midweek meditation is changing from a weekly devotional look at one of the passages uh, to become more of an overview show whenever we approach a new a letter, a new book of the New Testament. Our hope will be over time to begin introducing Old Testament overviews as well. But uh, this week we're beginning our study, our reading of Paul's letter to the church in Rome. And so we want to spend a few minutes today uh, just beginning to orient us to what is going on here so that as we dive in, hopefully our study, our reading will be more fruitful. So uh, James, are you ready to figure out Romans? Yeah, in 10 solve or 12 it right here. Minutes? We'll mm-hmm. solve it in 10 or 12 mm-hmm. Perfectly minutes. understand it and teach it. That's right. That's right. If you've read through Romans before, you know it's certainly one of the longer letters of the New Testament. It's 16 full chapters. Um, and as we get into it, we'll see it's just this beautiful description of the gospel from beginning to end of what God has done in Jesus Christ and all of the implications of the good news of Jesus Mm -hmm. in our own lives, how we interact with one another, and ultimately how we interact with the world. James, to get us started, let's talk a little bit about uh, kind of the context and the situation. Yeah, Paul has written this letter to the church in Rome, Mm -hmm. and it's helpful for us to understand why. Uh, you know, what was the point in all of this? And so let's let's do a little introductory work before we really dive into yeah. the text. Yeah, Paul was, I think maybe what's helpful to know is that in most of Paul's letters, he's writing to churches and people who he has met before and who he helped plant the churches. So when you look at his letter to the Corinthians, he very clearly knows them and is using some of his relational capital in order to move in and hone in on some of their sin issues. But in the book of Romans, Paul has never been to Rome at this point. It's probably 57, 58 AD, which means that he's actually in Corinth at the time. So in Acts 18, we even looked at it in one of our midweek meditations. He is in Corinth for about a year and a half. And at that point, he begins to think about where he is going to go and take the gospel. And he's thinking Spain has not heard the gospel. No one has been there yet. And so he plans to go through Rome to build up a nice partnership there and move from from Rome to have a home base to then go and be a missionary in Spain. So this is, in one sense, Paul's introduction. Uh, it is, if, if you're going to hire a new pastor at a church and they come and He preaches a sermon. It's a really good introduction to his theology and style. And here is Paul saying, this is who I am. This is the gospel that I teach. This is from the Old Testament. This is what you have already heard. And this is how I understand the gospel to be. That's helpful. That's really helpful. So in one sense, we could say maybe in in our modern context, the, the letter to the church at Rome is in a personal introduction, mm-hmm. and it's almost a little bit of a um, a support-raising letter. Yeah, it is. I mean, Paul says at the end of chapter 15, 
Um, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Mm -hmm. So Paul is in Corinth, and he wants to go to Spain to take the gospel there, as you said, and Rome is on the way. Mm -hmm. And so he's like, why wouldn't I stop by? Mm -hmm. The church at Rome is growing. I can encourage you. You can encourage me, even as we read in the first chapter of Romans. Mm -hmm. he, He talks about wanting to come and bear the fruit of the gospel in their lives as he preaches to them, as he's encouraged by them. And he's hoping to gather the supplies that he needs for his journey to Spain, mm-hmm. physically, financially. And so this is an introduction to the church at Rome as he hopes and plans to make his way there in the coming years, uh, passing through on his way to Spain. And as you said, he he then lays out, hey, here's who I am. Here's the gospel I teach. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he really mines the depths of the gospel from beginning to end. I think uh, we've written down that one of the kind of theme verses uh, for uh, this letter to the Romans is in chapter 1. If you've done much study in Mm -hmm. Paul's letter, you've probably heard um, this. Paul says in chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And then mm-hmm. he begins to unpack from there this gospel, which is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Yes. And so in his introduction, he says, hey, I'm coming. I want to bear the fruit of the gospel in your life. Hey, let's spend the rest of this letter talking about what this gospel is, mm-hmm. which is why so often uh, Romans is looked to and referred to as kind of one of the deepest explorations of the gospel in all yeah. its fullness. That's mm-hmm. Paul's intent to say the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes well, then let's just talk about the gospel to make sure everybody really understands it. Mm -hmm. And so what we can't do today is look at every single verse in Romans, uh, but what we want to do is provide a general overview and outline of uh, the book of Romans so that as we begin to read it, we kind of see Paul's thinking as he very logically mm-hmm. progresses through aspects of the gospel to help us understand. And so uh, maybe one way to look at it first is chapters 1 to 5 are really about our justification, yeah. which is just a fancy way of saying how men and women, how you and I are made right with God mm-hmm. through faith in Jesus Christ. So, James, in chapters 1 to 5, give Mm -hmm. us a quick overview of kind of what we see Paul doing to prove that point that men and women are justified by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus. Yeah, well, the first place he starts before he says, hey, you've been justified by God and God has counted you righteous in his sight. He has to start with saying, actually, you need that. Mm. And the reason you need that is because... All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And he begins in chapter 1 by looking at, oh yeah, those people you know who are definitely sinful are sinful. Oh, and by the way, now that you're agreeing that they're sinful, you're sinful too. Mm. And so he is really unpacking the uh, 
the depths of sin, the width of sin. He's making sure all of us know, yes, we are sinful and we stand under the judgment of God because of what we have done. And from there, he turns and uh, between chapter 3 and in chapter 4, he really begins to move from our knowledge of sin and from really laying it on thick so that we feel the weight of our sin to then saying, hey, yes, we, we know that there's sin, um, but the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. And then he goes on to say that since all have fallen and fallen short of the glory of God, uh, those who trust in Christ are justified by his grace as a gift. Mm. That it is Jesus who gives us the grace and the justification and the righteousness of God through our faith. Uh, then from there, he really unpacks Abraham. He's saying, hey, this actually isn't a new thing. Uh, justification through faith has been what the Bible has been teaching all along. All the way back in Genesis, we see God teaching exactly what I'm teaching you here about Christ. And then moving into uh, chapter 5. Uh, Josh, what chapter 5 is a, is a hinge point. It's a really important chapter for our Reformed Covenant theology. Give just a moment to kind of unpack that. A little bit. Yeah, the end of chapter 5, verses 12 to 21, um, are interesting. Paul begins to make the connections between Adam and Jesus. And there's some big uh, theological jargon that we could throw out there. <laughs> uh, but the sense of what Paul is trying to say is that in Adam, every single one of us are guilty sinners. Mm-hmm. So we know the story in Genesis 1 and 2. Adam and Eve are made in God's image. They're put in God's garden, intended to live before him all their days. Uh, God gives them one very simple yet very specific command, and Adam disobeys. And he leads Eve into sin as well. And as a result, we're told that sin enters the world. Mm -hmm. So Adam was operating as our representative. Yeah. So that what Adam did, good or bad, gets transferred to all of humanity, mm -hmm. all who were born through the line of Adam. Because Adam and Eve sinned and fell and were banished from God's presence, every human being is born sinful. We call that original sin. Mm -hmm. We're born sinful. David says at one point, um, you know, I was a sinner in my mother's womb. Mm -hmm. mm. And so we're born into sin and we choose to sin because that's our nature. Yeah. That is bad news. <laughs> the good news is what we've just said, that God has done in Jesus what we couldn't do in ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so he compares Jesus to Adam by saying Jesus is the better Adam. Yeah, He's the one who offers something different mm -hmm. to his people than what Adam could offer to his. Mm -hmm. So in Adam, everybody's a sinner and guilty before holy God. But in Jesus Christ, all who trust in him by faith also receive his works, good or bad. Yeah. But we know that Jesus' works are good. Jesus fulfilled the law mm -hmm. and is righteous before God. And Where Adam fell, Christ stood firm and right. succeeded and obeyed. That's exactly right. So as we place our faith in Christ, we kind of get moved from one camp to another camp. Mm -hmm. We're all born in Adam, 
but through faith we get transferred to being in Christ. And as yeah. a result, we now get the blessings and the benefits of our representative, the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's this kind of hinge point in our theology of this is this is the nature of covenant theology. God has made a covenant with us. He's fulfilled it in Jesus Christ. And for those of us who have faith, we get to experience all the benefits and the blessings of being in Christ. Which explains why it's a gift. It is Christ who has earned and obeyed and been faithful to the Father. And when we are in Christ, when we are under him, then all that he has, he he gives to us. His blessings, his benefits, all that God has given Christ then just flow to us. That's right. That's right. It magnifies this idea that the gospel is is grace mm-hmm. from beginning to end. And we receive it by faith. It's not something that we do. It's a gift that's been given. So that's why we've said chapters 1 to 5 are really all about our justification, how it is that you and I are made right with God yeah. as a gift by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who accomplished everything that you and I not only didn't accomplish, but wouldn't accomplish if left to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Chapter 6 to 8, as we turn, really begin to talk about our sanctification, yeah. which is just a fancy way of saying how that gospel begins to take root in our lives mm-hmm. and begins to work itself out in our lives. And so chapter 6 and chapter 7 and chapter 8 ought to feel as we read it much more like, oh, yeah, yeah, I I relate to that. Mm -hmm. Paul is sharing, in a sense, his own experience of trying to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, the struggles that he experiences, the truth that he needs to be reminded of in the Mm -hmm. midst of that. And then we get to chapter 8, this beautiful chapter of hope and of promise and of security that's Mm -hmm. ours as we seek to live out the gospel in our lives. And we need that. I mean, I know that as I try to walk with Jesus, I constantly find myself not doing it well. Mm -hmm. And Paul, anticipating that by the power of the Spirit, writes this beautiful chapter of all these promises, how, hey, don't worry, it's really about the Lord Jesus Christ holding you more than it is about you holding the Lord Jesus Christ. And the more you rest in that, the better you'll actually do it trying Mm -hmm. to pursue Him. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the more we rest, the better we are at working which is uh, this interesting interplay (laughs) that we see happening as the gospel takes root in our lives. Yeah, such good news, too. Mm. Uh, Just to know, yes, it is in Christ, and at the same time, it is Christ working in us and through us and holding us to himself as we continue to live in him. And then from 9 to 11 in Romans, Paul really takes up what is going to be One of the major uh, opposition points, one of the major disagreements, or maybe even defeater arguments that someone is going to bring up against him. So he's been unpacking, hey, this is Christ, and this is the teaching of the gospel from the Old Testament that I'm teaching you right now. And he expects somebody basically to walk up to him, and the number one counter argument that he expects is, what about the Jews? Mm -hmm. Right? Jesus was... Jewish. This is the Jewish faith they're talking about. And I still know a whole lot of Jews that are trying to kill you, Paul. Mm-hmm. And so he then moves from chapters 9 through 11 to really unpack, 
hey, I know that you think this is a big deal, but in the big picture level, it's always been the case that not all who are ethnically of Israel are actually part of God's chosen Israel of the heart. We could look in Galatians where he says that what matters is the circumcision of the heart. What matters is God working in us. And so he can say that you can look back in the Old Testament and find people who were Jewish, but who clearly were not saved Mm. because they were clearly living out of an idolatry and were clearly not following the Lord. Same thing happens today. You could find Gentiles Mm -hmm. who were not part of ethnic Israel, yes. but who manifested faith. Mm-hmm. Rahab, for example. Yeah. I mean, she was a Great pagan example. Gentile, mm-hmm. and yet we see her faith in the Lord, and mm-hmm. she's listed in the genealogy of Jesus. Yeah. And so Great, you see it on both great sides. grandmother of King David, even right. though she was not part of Israel to begin with. That's right. And so really the, the question, what about Israel? Uh, has God abandoned them? Is this a new thing? Mm-hmm. Does God have two peoples? Is it like one way for the Jews, one way for the church? Like it's mm-hmm. really, what's the connection of this whole, hey, there's this pretty massive community mm-hmm. with deeply entrenched religion that apparently this whole Christianity thing is built upon. What are the connections there? How does this all work together? Yes. And what we can say is there's a lot in these chapters. Yes. And... Um, Thousands of gallons of ink have been spilled (laughs) writing about 9 to 11. And so um, we would say approach these chapters, um, not cautiously, but approach them knowing that we we get into deep waters pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the resources that James and I uh, have enjoyed is a study by Tim Keller, it's called Romans for You. He has a series of books that are commentary slash Bible studies, yeah. and one of them is on the book of Romans, and he writes at a very uh, easy-to-understand level. Yeah, it's, it's not overly very theological. It's very accessible. And so if you're diving into Romans 9, 10, and 11, and you're thinking, man, what is he talking about? <laughs> We would push you to uh, to that resource. We've also got others uh, that if you're interested, you can reach out to James or reach out to me. I think one of the main takeaways for us, though, that we've got to say is that um, God is doing something new in mm-hmm. the new covenant, but it's not new because it's fundamentally different than it's yeah. in connection to it's the fulfillment of everything of, of Old Testament Israel. Yeah. So it's new in the sense that the true thing has come. Yeah. But it's not new in the sense that, oh, faith is a new thing. Mm-hmm. That's why he appeals in chapter four to Abraham, the man of faith. Abraham was one of the first Jews. Mm-hmm. And so it's built upon this Old Testament Old Testament foundation. Uh, it's the fulfillment of everything that's there. And mm-hmm. the Jews are saved the same way that uh, everybody is saved, which is yeah. faith in the promise of God to provide a way 
of salvation. Mm-hmm. Now, the details that the Jews had about that was very different. Mm-hmm. Their faith was in the promises of God to provide a way, mm-hmm. that a Messiah was coming, mm-hmm. that salvation was offered in his name. It was always by faith. We just happen to know a lot more about that Savior. <laughs> That's right. And we happen to know a lot more about exactly how God was going to accomplish that. Yeah. But our faith is still in the promise of God that he has made a way through our sin to be brought back to him. And so uh, there are schools of theology out there that would say, no, the Jews is something different. God mm-hmm. deals with them in a different way. And we we reject that because the Bible rejects that. Yeah, God doesn't have two different peoples with two ways of salvation. Mm-hmm. God has one people from beginning to end uh, that trust in him by faith and as a result are saved. Yeah. You think that's fair, James? I think that's fair, yeah. It's new in the new covenant because in the old the old way of understanding the covenant of grace was to look forward to a coming Messiah mm. and to look forward to what God would do. And the new way of living in the covenant of grace is now looking back at the Messiah who has come and accomplished everything. Mm. That's a good way to say it, looking forward to and then for us and all of us, mm-hmm. this side of Jesus. Absolutely. Anybody who will ever hear this yeah. is on this side of it. So we're not looking forward to a work of salvation. We're looking back at the work of salvation yeah. that God has accomplished in the life, the death, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, yeah. which is what Paul has been mining the last handful of chapters. Mm-hmm. And then from there, from chapters 11 through 15, uh, he just applies the gospel. You can look at lots of uh, examples through these chapters. There's really great um, just teaching in chapters 12 through 15 about uh, the marks of a Christian, the body of Christ, uh, just the way in which we live out the gospel in our life. And then from 14 and 15, Paul then hones in on one very specific problem going on in the church at Rome that's happening between Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians as they are approaching, what do you do with food? Sacrifice to idols from two very different perspectives. And Paul's big teaching when they are not united anymore is to say, look at the unity in Christ that we already have. And from the unity of Christ, let's also look at the freedom that we have in Christ. And from the freedom that we have in Christ, let's love one another well. Mm. Uh, And then from there, he closes it out. And from there, he really, uh, in chapter 16, reminds him who he is. And he kind of unpacks just a tiny reminders. And then he closes out his letter and says, hope to see you soon. Hope to see you soon. Yeah, and we know that Paul ultimately makes it to Rome. He does. We read the end of um, the book of Acts, and Paul makes it to Rome. Uh, Best we can tell, he never makes it to Spain. Uh, but that's okay. What a great reminder that we plan our ways, but the Lord orders our steps. Uh, so the the letter to the church at Rome, this beautiful picture of the gospel in all its fullness, this beautiful picture of the gospel and its implication in our lives. And so we pray and hope that as you dive in and read, the Lord would meet you here, that he would challenge your faith and encourage your faith that he would strengthen you by the grace that is yours in the Lord Jesus Christ. We love you guys. We look forward to being together next time.